0: The show looked look back at the 2005 adaptation of the 1996 Tony Award winning musical Rent. I'm Blake, and on the line, I have a very special guest from Broadway World. um, friend of the Blake and Sal show, Matt Taminetti. Matt, how are you doing?
1: Good, Blake. How are you?
0: Good. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to uh, talk about this uh, abhorrent movie version of a great Broadway musical.
0: Well, I will actually ask you, I know you're not a big fan of the movie. What is your issue with the movie?
1: Well, um, a lot of things, (laughs) first off. And and while I adore the original Broadway cast, uh, especially on that original Broadway cast album, they were probably too old to play the parts... um, on Broadway originally, to be fair. Um, well, maybe they, they were on the borderline. Um, but when you take that a decade-ish later and you work in the fact that they're dealing with a lot of close-ups, they just looked too old to be playing those parts. Um, so that's one thing. That, But that's minor. I can get over that. I can suspend my disbelief when it comes to an actor's age in relationship to the character. My issues more have to do with Christopher Columbus's direction. I, I just feel like he robbed the show of what was a an avant-garde, um, cutting-edge feel and made it very sanitized. Not in the content, because the content is mostly the same. It's more in the approach. the The visuals are very clean and and crisp and scrubbed and colorful and it just feels like they took what was a work of kind of disruptive theater and turned it into something that was in a lot of ways commercially packaged now I understand rent ran on Broadway for however many years it, you know uh, it closed in 2008 so 22 years whatever. And, and I understand that it was very commercially successful and continues to be to this day. But it still maintained at its heart the original intention of Jonathan Larson and, and Michael Greif and, and all of the creators to where it still was essentially a blank space with a bunch of scaffolding and some chairs and a table and not a lot of, I don't, I don't know, decoration and not a lot of, you know, slick production values and that's when that show is at its best and I feel like the movie maybe just because inherently of the nature of film robbed the story of that and and I think Christopher Columbus who, you know, is not exactly known for gritty um, uh uh emotional dramas was probably the exact wrong person to do that film. Uh, granted I've loved a lot of movies that he's done before and since. It I just feel like you could not have found a worse marriage between story and director. And and I feel like that's where my biggest hangups come in. I'll make fun of the fact that, you know, Adam and, 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 uh, and Anthony and Adina and, and Tay and, you know, whatever, they all looked way too old to be, uh, these characters are supposed to be in their early twenties, but that's secondary to the fact that the film I felt lost the, internal feelings of what that show was all about.
0: I get what you're saying. I get it. I, I guess I never had that problem and I've seen the Broadway show on Broadway four times, so it's not like I'm not a huge, huge fan of the Broadway show. <laughs> I don't yeah, know.
1: It, yeah, it's to each his own. It just for me, you know, and maybe it's the time that I, you know, I, I I'm of the age where I was in high school when the show originally came out and I wore out my cast album Um, I I, I was it was at the time where CDs were around so I remember putting the CD on singing it in my room going to the bathroom to brush my teeth or something and coming back and being able to continue to sing in the exact same spot (laughs) two three minutes later because I knew the album that well so to me this show is so ingrained in my development as a musical theater fan um, that it, it is precious to me now I am completely aware that it is not a perfect work of, of, of musical theater. I also understand that had Jonathan Larson not died before it originally began performances at the New York Theater Workshop, that th- the Rent we know today might very well be very different uh, than, than what it could have been. So I, I, I realize that as well, but just from a sentimental and developmental perspective, perspective rent is very important to me and i felt like the things that i found to be at the core of the story of rent were robbed in the film adaptation
0: okay i can see what you mean i mean it's funny because we're talking about what you own for those who are wondering where we actually are in the movie I was rewatching it back right before we got on the line. And taking my notes like I do, I'm very detailed with my notes. And it was one of those things where we're in New York. The entire movie. <laughs> we're here. I'm I love the fact that we did it in New York. I love the little details they added to make it New York. But then suddenly we're in New Mexico <laughs> for like <Yeah>. five minutes. <laughs> I, I it's the only thing that's really bothered me this whole movie. the fact that we jumped to New Mexico for and I understand why they did it. I get it. <laughs> sure.
1: Narratively, it makes sense. But you're right. I mean, and that's one of the main differences, you know, because and, and we talked about this, you know, in the e- in emailing about doing the show is that this is one of the sections that is pretty much an exact translation yes. from stage to screen. Now, obviously, the change from stage to screen, you know, will impact how it's presented. But in terms of the text, it is the same. So that is one thing that it has going for it. Yes.
0: The one thing I do say is they do it in finale A, finale B, they explain and they show you what they explain. Which I don't mind because they do it a lot in the movie where they're showing stuff that they explain in song in the Broadway show. Which I'm okay with that, personally. So that's one of the things they do here. What I do like is the detail of like watching, seeing Mark at work Actually, working, which I like because it's something that's like assumed that he does, and I like to see that. It's also nice to see like Sarah Silverman show up for like one more scene just because they can get her, yeah, which it's is nice. always fun. Yes, by the way, what did you think of having Sarah Silverman in here as Lexi Darling? Because I love the casting.
1: I was aware of Sarah Silverman back then, but I don't think I really knew who she was. Um. So I think it was cool. I mean, going back and thinking about it now, because really, when you think about this, like, there's no one else in the film that like has become anybody. I mean, uh, Adina Menzel's current husband, Aaron Lohr, is in the movie as Steve. Yes. But other than that, there's not. Um. Like, there's nobody that became big other than Sarah Silverman. So it's it's kind of neat. She seems like a, a good Alexi Darling. Um you know, you had Randy Graff who who played Mark's mom who was a Broadway person. Mm-hmm. Um so a lot of us knew her. Uh Anna Devere Smith was Mrs. Jefferson, but she was a star before this. So but nobody's gone on to, to have their career kind of blow up anywhere near the level uh of Sarah Silverman. So I thought that was really cool.
0: Well, except maybe Indina Menzel.
1: Well no, I mean yeah, mainstream. I mean <laughs> Yeah, no, I meant not from like the main cast, like the people who weren't originally in it, but, um, like some of these other people that would have just been ensemble folks in in the Broadway version. Um, you know, you don't the people who are kind of the smaller parts in the film. No one's really had a huge career other than uh, Sarah Silverman.
0: True. There was one. Um, I was doing my research. I think it was the on the street sequence right before Santa Fe, and the woman they had there as the lady who yells at Mark was from the original Broadway show as well. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, there's definitely a few of
1: those. Yeah, and that's what's one of the nice things about a lot of stage to screen adaptations is that they do try to get people in who have a history with the show, even if it's not in the roles that they originally played. Um, Like this one was, like if you go and look at the uh, the last five years film adaptation uh, that Anna Kendrick and Jeremy Jordan did a few years ago you see a lot of people who have history with that show in different parts in the film uh, Sherry Renee Scott who played uh, one of the leads originally she's I think one of the producers Betsy Wolf who did it um, off Broadway she's the the stripper who Anna Kendrick's character Kathy shares a, a dressing room with so that's one of the nice things at any anytime you have a musical adapted uh, adapted for this for the uh, for the screen a lot of times for for us theater nerds, we get to see folks that we know have a connection uh, to it in the uh, in the movie version, which is always a nice little Easter egg for us.
0: True. Very true. Now back to the song. This is one of my personal favorite songs. Like, period. Broadway history. I love this song. Like, it's almost like a mantra song for me. One of those, I play, put me in a good mood, snap me out of funk. This is a great song. <laughs> Just throw yeah. it out there.
1: Uh, no I, I i enjoyed this is one of my favorites as well um we can get into the presentation and the film my f- I, I always say that my favorite show tune of all time is the reprise of I'll cover you oh, um oops, that's okay. uh, yeah it, in the in the cast album i don't necessarily love um love the version that jesse does in the film as much just because he kind of changes it up a little bit um and and it's fine but i love 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 the one from the original cast album
0: i could agree with that 100 percent. but we go here the song in the broadway show it's pretty simple they're on the stage they're doing their thing and they're saying their points of view which like you said it's extremely simple which is great for the stage fantastic for the stage in the movie They have to explain a little more. (laughs) they got to show it. And I guess they didn't really want to have another sequence where they're just watching two people sing. I guess that's something they didn't want to do. Because they did that at the beginning with One Song Glory. Even in One Song Glory, they showed flashbacks. Right. Here, they're just kind of almost like the trope of a musical where you have to play a song and then you kind of fast forward through time. We have to get us to a certain point, so we're going to show you everything that happened in what amount, like about so what, a month's time, two months' time, in a three-minute song.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and that's, and and you kind of have to do that when you take it to the screen because this song is that same. I mean, that's what it does on stage. It takes you from Halloween to Christmas Eve, Roger. Goes, uh, to Santa Fe and comes back in that time. So I understand why they did it, but man, is it cheesy? It's just, it's a, i mean, that's the Christopher Columbus effect is the, to me, the song works so well on stage because it tells the parallel stories of Mark and Roger. They've had this blow up after, um, goodbye, love, uh, after the funeral. Right. And they both get to the fact that Mark, um, Purposely distances himself from it from everybody around him one because he says it's how he's able to you know to do his art But Roger accuses him of basically being scared Mark accuses Roger of doing something similar because he's pushing everybody away because he doesn't want to get hurt So it's the same parallel stories what works so well on stage for me is the fact that we see them on stage and It's a duet even though they're not singing it to each other or In the confines of the narrative with each other, but the choreography of it is so great on stage because what you do is you see them crossing and you see them looking almost directly at each other as they're singing, but then they're passing each other like two ships passing in the night. Obviously, one's in New York, one's in Santa Fe and the effect of that and the relationship between what is going on for them personally in their friendship and in the time when they're apart is really impactful when it's on stage in the film version. You've got Roger randomly walking through red rock. I mean, and it's like, and Mark is singing on his, on his bike. And I mean, like, I I get it. Like logically, I understand why you have to do it this way. But it takes to me what a song is that's super powerful. It just makes it a little cheesy and and again, I don't I'm not a director of of major motion pictures. So I'm not going to question um, Christopher Columbus that he could have done it differently, although I think he could have. I don't know what that would have been. But it's just I that's the best we got. I mean, you couldn't have found a, a more creative way to do that and tell that part of the story while still maintaining what I think is the most impactful visual part of the stage version.
0: I will say I do love the Mark stuff in the montage because I like the fact that he's working out his film and he's kind of in his own world, which I like. Yeah, that that makes sense. And also I like the fact that it's almost like he's watching his film and it's all the stuff we've seen already and we can see him looking at his life like, what has gone on in this last year? Which I like too. That's an important detail. And, and yeah, it just feel like, yeah.
1: No, totally. And and the Mark stuff makes a lot more sense than you know Roger, you know, in full <laughs> denim walking through you know the desert. But um, also, can we just talk about how much Adam looks like an early '90s Bon Jovi with that, <laughs> that feathered hair? Okay. Uh, I've never noticed that track,
0: before. They make fun of him on the commentary okay. track for that. So yeah, as look, they should. They're aware of it. They're fully aware of that. <laughs>
1: Yeah you know what's really interesting and I went back and watched the um the the the, the last Broadway performance that yes. they filmed and released and where Will Chase plays Roger and what's super interesting is one both Will Chase and and Adam Pascal have played um, Shakespeare in Something Rotten Ooh, which yeah. is a musical completely unrelated to Rent but what's interesting about it is is that in the Broadway version during this song Roger has like guy liner and he looks super, you know, it's just such a it's such a very different presentation of the character than what they went for um, on film. Coincidentally enough, Shakespeare in Something Rotten also wears a ton of guy liner and is actually dressed quite a bit like Roger from the stage version. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, the. The, the arc of what Mark goes through during those two months in which this song takes place is about him getting increasingly frustrated with his job at Buzzline and continuing uh, continuing to film things for his movie and piece it together. What I think doesn't happen um, in the film version that I think is done really well on stage is we don't have the opening where Mark does the narration for... Um, some of his packages for BuzzLine, which I don't understand because he's a director, not on air, but whatever. That doesn't matter. There's so many plot holes in Rent. It doesn't, you know, just suspend the disbelief because he does the whole vampire welfare queens. Yeah, right uh, thing.
0: Me. <laughs> yeah, and I so... so. i have Mark Cohen, here from BuzzLine. Back to you, Alexi. Coming up next, will, will, vampire welfare queens who are compulsive bowlers.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, that's, that's funny. It's a joke. I also don't understand why he throws it back to Alexi And then goes on. That's not how TV works. But again, I digress. So, but we don't get to understand how frustrating his job is during this scene. Um, But I've also, let's get, this is at the core of this song and not the, the film itself. And it might go back to La Boheme. I don't know the opera well at all, but. Is he incapable of doing a job and working on his film? Because I know a ton of people who do their art in addition to a day job. So I don't really understand why he had to quit Buzzline. I mean, if he found it that morally repugnant, okay, I get that. But he says he quits because he has to finish his own film. I guess he can't do both at the same time. I, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I but but then also as a
0: podcaster who has a full-time job. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. Me, too. I have a full-time job, and then I do a daily podcast every night. So I understand you can do both. Um, but I, I, I another thing, he, I find it's an interesting choice by Mark in the film to tell Alexi. He addresses Alexi directly and quits just by screaming off the roof of his brother. He doesn't call her. He doesn't call her. He just says, Alexi, I quit.
0: I have a thought on the top that, of this building. have a thought.
1: It's 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 a little weird.
0: Okay, well I have it's a thought. Weird. Is okay, Is it actually ahead. quitting, or is it one of those things where you want to quit so you're venting your frustrations, but you're not actually going to quit?
1: Um, that's that's an interesting an interesting choice. On stage, he uses a payphone and calls his Alexi. Yes, yes. So if if they are. Inferring that he does not actually quit That is not very well established In the film version It would make more sense But again um, Another one of those things that I guess They didn't want to do another cutaway Because it's towards the end of the song uh, Just lots and lots of questions
0: Well I think that also Remember in the movie He actually pays Benny for rent So he's now paying Benny So he kind of needs the money (laughs) So, yeah, and there's a yeah. whole
1: discussion about, there's a whole discussion about Benny, who, where it's so interesting that he is framed as the bad guy, and he's obviously a bit of a douchebag, but, um,
0: is he really a bad guy? Like, <laughs> we, we had y- this discussion a couple of yeah, episodes like, ago with a guest, we relate yeah. to Benny more as adults. <laughs> Yes.
1: Well, and and also totally the whole like cheating on his wife thing that that goes without saying. But that's really not why he's the bad guy in the show. Like they they don't really seem to care about this in the show. The show frames him as the bad guy because he wants to make an arts company and take an abandoned (laughs) lot and turn it into a building. He wants to make their lives better. (laughs) Yes. Like he literally tells them that if you stop our mutual friend from. Doing something that can hurt Me personally You know business wise I'll let you live here for free and work here For free like that's not a bad Guy now granted the all the whole Peripheral stuff about you know Kind of just being a general jerk and cheating on his Wife that's great but that's not Really why Jonathan Larson says He's a a bad guy
0: Yeah, I feel like we did have this conversation A couple of shows ago same mentality Benny is not a bad I, the bad guy in the story. Yeah. I mean, yeah. at all.
1: <laughs> yeah, but whatever. You know, oh, I it, it is been. what it is. And it's just, you know, musical theater is an art form where you just kind of have to go with it because it's not a realistic uh, medium. And that's why it's so hard for, in my opinion, for musicals. To translate to movies, and that's why so many of them are so bad. Especially the ones that are not naturalistic, things like Nine, which is an incredibly artistic show on stage, translated to an absolutely horrific movie. Um, because it's hard to take a show that is not told with a bunch of pop and circumstance. It doesn't have a, a ton of 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 set changes. Doesn't have a ton of literal things happening on stage and make it work in a medium that is probably the most naturalistic medium that we have in art. Theater is probably at least in performing arts, the least and film is the one that is probably the most. So it is hard just to make sure that the feeling and the tone that I was talking about at the beginning, that I don't think Christopher Columbus got, that's just hard to work for any movie musical. And the ones that tend to work are the ones that Embrace it not being literal Things like the Chicago film That uh, uh, Approached that text as not Being super literal all of the Songs are kind of these dream Sequences now that works with Chicago Would not work with rent I don't think Also uh, also something Like uh, like into the woods not A great film but a good film but it's About magic so of course It's you know what you want with that But this is a story about real people In the real world and it's just a hard thing to do to make it work but my point going back to benny is that you just kind of have to go with musicals they're going to take you places and things aren't going to make sense but you just go with it because you don't really have a choice
0: i got a question for you because um the next big musical outside of like mary poppins and stuff like that is in the heights what do you are you worried about that transferring to film because i'm not what do you think um.
1: Actually, what's interesting is is I was actually in my head thinking in the Heights. Um, when I was talking about the plot holes, there's a ton oh, of yeah. plot holes in the Heights. Oh yeah, there um, is. <laughs> like just like just like a ton. Like timeline, timeline wise. Um, three days. There's a lot of in weird stuff. Days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, but yeah, and then and then the whole lottery thing, and like how old is is um uh, is Nina. Well, yeah. And how old is Nina? And how old is Navi and and Benny? <laughs> uh, again, another Benny. Yeah. Um but and man did chris jackson ever play benny and rent i don't know anyway I um don't know. I he, played it up. Simba. he was simba on broadway at one point but anyway that's neither here nor there um no i'm not super worried about it because it is a story that i think naturalistically can work i also think that audiences are going to give lin-manuel miranda a lot of just credit they're just going to be like okay i can get into this i know right. what he does um and I also think that the music is so good and it, it feels much more current than maybe Rent did a decade later, um, the, you know, when the movie came out. So I, I, I don't anticipate in, in the Heights being any problem. It mean, I'll, I'll, also, of course, depends on who stars in it. I think um, the director, John Chu, who um, did uh, Crazy Rich Asians, I think. He is more than capable of handling this type of property. So I, I'm really uh, I, I'm really excited for it. I, I think it, it's one of my favorite shows. Uh, this and Rent. They're, they're in my top four or five favorite musicals of all time. So I'm very excited to see what they do with it.
0: So one more question I have for you. As the Rent person, you were in New York recently. Jonathan Larson Project. I didn't know much about it. I know you saw it. Don't tell people about the Jonathan Larson Project.
1: Yeah, that, that's really the reason that I, I went up for just two days in mid-October, first week of October. The Jonathan Larson Project is um, a concert, and it's been announced that it's going to be turned into a cast album, and I would imagine that it'll end up being licensed. It was basically um, the, the brainchild of producer and Broadway historian uh, Jennifer Ashley Tepper, who is the programming director um, at uh, Feinstein's 54 Below, which they call the Broadway Supper Club. It's a cabaret venue. And she is also the... Uh, she's working as the historian slash dramaturg on um, the film version of Tick, Tick, Boom, which is another Jonathan Larson um, musical that is actually being directed by Lynn manuel Miranda. Um, so, so there's that cool that kind of synergy. But anyway, she was able to get access to all of Jonathan Larson's papers and recordings that are housed at the Library of Congress. And she went through them and found all these songs that have never really been heard before, um, maybe other than a few times, you know, that that Jonathan played them for friends. And when he died in 95, 96, um, I can't remember exactly the year it was, he they, they just kind of died with him. Tick, Tick, Boom was a one person show that he did by himself that after his death, his family gave approval to a playwright to kind of mold it into a three ish person musical. But really, other than that, none of his works have been and it kind of presented to the public so jennifer ashley tepper worked with the jonathan larson family and was able to get permission to have these songs done so they had an incredible cast of, of five musical theater actors and some uh, a different guest for every performance and they did what essentially amounted to a song cycle where it told the story uh, i mean i guess it really didn't tell a story but it, it showed you a lot of the different types of color that Jonathan Larson had in his writing. Everything from, if you didn't know, he wrote a musical about 1984, not the year, the book. Um, he wrote a lot of things that seem incredibly prescient to today. And, and it's just super interesting to see the types of different things that he had in him at that point that we didn't know about but also incredibly sad to think about what he could have been doing I mean he wouldn't even have been if he would have been just around you know late 50s early 60s by now and to think that he died 22 years ago or 23 years ago and to think that he had all of that music in him still that he could have given to the world is uh, is really heartbreaking uh, especially for someone like me who who grew up on rent and loves tick tick boom um, I'm very excited that that it's going to be preserved and the cast album is going to come out, but it's, um, uh, it, it was a great experience. I went to the very first performance. Um, it was fantastic, but, uh, for people who love Jonathan Larson and rent and tick tick boom, this is something that you will very much want to see. It's, it's, I didn't know what to expect. And and it it still it blew my mind and, and defied all of the expectations. Well,
0: that's good to know. I, I saw you, you posting about it, and I saw it all over social media, but I didn't know much yeah. about it, so very cool. <laughs>
1: yeah, and and I'd actually gotten the chance to um, for something completely unrelated, I interviewed uh, Daphne Rubin Vega, who was the original Mimi in in Rent on Broadway and got replaced by Rosario Dawson for the film um, a week before. Like, I was talking to her about a, a cast album that she was on that was getting released, but I talked to her about it, and she said, like, it. what's so interesting about the songs that were used in the Jonathan Larson project is like, she said, this is Jonathan. Like, this is to hear him this way. Like, this is the stuff. That we know him as this is who we knew him as and yes, everybody knows the rent stuff and that's kind of become its own thing. But to hear these songs, you know, for even her for in a lot of cases for the first time, um, it's like being able to hear him perform it or, you know, to have a conversation with him. Um, and and so it was, it was, it was a very important thing. She was one of the special guests that performed once or twice, um, Yeah, and, and so uh, a, a very, very cool thing for, for even her, who's been a part of the Jonathan Larson legacy for you know two-plus decades now.
0: Oh, very, very cool. Well, Matt, thank you for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's thanks. nice to hear the other perspective, because we're always so positive. <laughs> What's actually, no, it's not a bad thing. I actually wanted that perspective. I say that over on Clark's Minute a lot. Not everybody likes the movie, so we well, have the opposite perspective. So, and,
1: and like I, I told you when you originally asked me, I like, I don't really like it. So as long as you're okay with that, uh, we will be good. And like I said, I love Rent. So I am very appreciative of the fact that it has been preserved in this way. However, if you have access to, I guess this is on Netflix, but if you have access to streaming, I would recommend the filmed version of the last week of Broadway performances instead but that's just me being, you know, a theater originalist, and I and I just enjoy the theater side of things more.
0: I just had one more question. What do you think of for Rent Live on Fox? Because this our show is going to lead in almost to Rent Live. What do you think of it?
1: I I, I don't know, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I I think the casting is is interesting. I don't know if it's a good interesting or a bad interesting, but they went completely opposite what i expected them to and so i guess that's a good thing so i appreciate the fact that they're taking risks because i feel like if jonathan larson was still alive he wouldn't want just the same rent done in a new medium i think jordan fisher who is going to be playing uh mark is a really interesting choice i mean he's you know mark has always played as a jewish white guy and and this mark is still going to be jewish i would assume because that's in the text but to have somebody who I, I believe he's he's mixed you know mixed race, um, and I I'm I, I didn't know we were going to talk about this, so I didn't check Jordan Fisher's uh, racial background. But um, who's not traditionally seen as white, I think that's really interesting, and I think that'll bring some some different colors. I also think that he's an incredible performer. He again to continue our Jonathan Larson and Lynn manuel Miranda connections he did um, Hamilton on Broadway he was one of the original replacements playing um, Philip Hamilton and Jonathan La- and John Lawrence um, he's he's really talented he was duty in Grease Live so I think he's going to be fine Then you've got another interesting thing where you've got Vanessa Hudgens playing Maureen. Now, she has a history with Rent. She did Rent at the Hollywood Bowl, but she played Mimi opposite Aaron Tveit, who was also one of the stars of Grease Live, uh, which she was as well. So it's a really interesting cast. Um, I'm not exactly... And again, I'm not a huge... Whatever. I, I don't know anything about High School Musical, but I actually think Vanessa Hudgens is really talented as well. So I think... Casting wise, they're very good. I don't see either of them fitting those roles super well, um, but maybe they'll they'll make it work. I'm also not super sure how they're going to make Brandon Victor Dixon, who's an Emmy nominee for playing Judas in Jesus Christ Superstar, how they're going to make him Collins. Um, I guess it makes sense if you think that he's a pro- he was a professor at MIT, so he's probably not in his early twenties like the rest of the cast is. But but you know, BVD is. I think he's 40. So, I mean, that's a huge age gap. Um, and it just seems a little weird to me. But um, for the most part, I, I will give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, Mark Platt, who is producer of just about anything musical theater related that ever makes it to a screen, um, is involved with this. He's also the father of Ben Platt. So I kind of assumed that Ben Platt would play Mark. But um, I... I, I I'm cautiously optimistic. It could be an absolutely unmitigated disaster. But for now, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt just because I'm intrigued by how they decided to cast this one.
0: See, I've, I've said with this one, Grease Live is my favorite live television musical. Besides, music guy superstar, but I enjoy Grease. I'm a Grease guy, I love it, and I love Grease Live on Fox. Fox could pull this off. I think they can. It worries me some of the content. I'm not sure how it's going to work on television. But they can pull it off. You know, so see how it works.
1: Yeah, the content doesn't bother me as much because it's Fox. Like, Fox TV shows have long pushed the envelope beyond what normally happens on screen. And let's be honest, in 2019, when this finally airs, like nothing in rent is really that controversial. Sure. I think NBC is going to have much more issues with trying to <laughs> censor hair, um, but that. they've said it's going to be a kinder, gentler, more family-friendly hair. Which I don't understand why you're doing hair if you're going to make it kinder, kinder and gentler. But that's, you know, a, another topic for another podcast, right. I suppose. But it's just, um, mm-hmm. you know, lots of interesting choices, and I appreciate interesting choices. Like if you're going to do something. Do do it with a fresh perspective. Don't just try to recreate what's already been done. And if you can do that, I, I'm here for it. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt.
0: All right. Well, Matt, why don't you plug away Broadway World. Go for it.
1: Um, yeah, you can follow uh, Broadway World at Broadway World on uh, Twitter. I think we're official Broadway World on Instagram. We're on Facebook as well. Um, we are the largest theatrical website in the world. So if you need theater news, that's where you can get us. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at BWW Matt, and I do a daily theater podcast called Today on Broadway, as well as host a show called Tell Me More on the Broadway Radio uh, network. You can find us wherever you get podcasts, Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever, um, by searching for Broadway Radio. So I appreciate all the uh, opportunities to
0: plug, Blake. No problem at all. And thank you, Matt, for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. And um, everyone else, We're part of the Filling and Void Podcast Network. You can hear me every Monday, Wednesday, Friday on Clerks Minute, talking about Clerks 2, and also every single Friday on the Blake and Sal Show. Um, Thank you all for listening. I hope you guys had fun hearing our conversation, kind of off the beaten path of the the actual movie. Not a problem. And thank you all for having a good day. No game on 2